I'm Jake Mansell with HJ Sports, and today we're going to go over our new sites within the Tetra line for 2022. So new for 2022, we actually came out with a new way to mount your scope housing to the infinite adjust bracket. No longer do you have to worry about your vertical adjustments uh, intertwining with the second axis adjustments. So as you'll see on the scope housing, uh, there's actually an additional brick. You can either mount that to the inside of the riser or to the outside of the riser. We recommend that for most traditional bows, you mount that to the inside of the riser and for any sort of sight that you're gonna mount in line with the bow to use the outside. Just flip that around um, and mount it to the outside of the riser. So within each of the product categories, we have the Tetra Max, the Tetra, and then the Tetra LT. As always, our Tetra line of sights come in four different scope housing size options, an inch and three eighths, an inch and five eighths, an inch and three quarters, and then also our four pin housing, which is an inch and three quarters. We also offer a 10 thousandths pin and a 19 thousandths pin for both single pin and four pin options. On the Tetra itself, we once again have micro adjustments as well as your macro gain adjustments for left and right. For your vertical adjustments on your Tetra bow sight, you'll want to use the screw right here on the infinite adjust rail and the screw below that. You'll just loosen those and slide it up and down. Another key feature on the 2022 Tetra bow sight is the integrated scope ring that has a built-in level. Another key feature on the 2022 Tetra bow sight is the ability to take a 2500 blue burst light. This is an added on accessory, but you can actually put that on there to add light to your pin or to reduce light. With that, we also have mechanical rheostat, which is an exclusive feature to HHA on the Tetra line. You'll be able to turn in the rheostat if you want to dim the light, and then you'll also be able to turn it out if you want to let more light in. Also on our 2022 Tetra line bow sights, the Tetra comes in either a fixed frame, our Hunter Edition frame, or it comes on a four to eight inch adjustable dovetail. All HHA products are 100% made and sourced in the USA, and they carry a 100% lifetime warranty. For any more questions, please visit our website at www.hjsports.com. Hello, we're at the ATA show at uh, Veteran Innovative Products, uh, an all-American made and manufactured broadhead. So we've got a new one for 2020 called the Combat Veteran 4-Blade. As you can see, 4-Blades got a lot of the same high-quality materials we used with our original 2-Blade Veteran, but the Combat Veteran has a different deployment system. How it deploys is you just squeeze a little bit on your main blades, okay, those compress, and then the broadhead opens. It still has our momentum management compressible blade technology. So the the cutting diameter is inch and a quarter by two inches on this when deployed. Uh, in flight, it's one inch by inch and a quarter. Another feature we added this year with these heads uh, is that you can exchange the bone breaching field point tip with a 125 grain setup if you would like. So swap the tip out, get you 125 grains instead of 100, which is big with those Western hunters. And then it's really simple to lock back in place, roll those blades up, and then it's a click and another click on the other side. It's completely set in, will not prematurely deploy, will not rattle free, solid containment, 100% deployment every time. So we've made a lot of good adjustments and refinements to it to make sure that it's guaranteed to deploy every single time. So that's what's new for VIP this year.
Welcome back, guys. This podcast is brought to you by RPG Coffee Company, a veteran-owned and operated socially responsible coffee company born to support members of the military, law enforcement, and firefighting communities by donating 50% of their profits. The true secret to living is giving. And don't forget to join the RPG Coffee Club today. Don't wait until you run out. Stay ready to rock by having RPG Coffee delivered straight to your door each month with our coffee club. Right, folks, thank you for tuning into another episode of Bucks of America podcast. I'm your co I'm your host, Jeff Vance, and it's been a, it's going to be a wild ride because last week I released a couple released a, a podcast with Jim Bob Oval Shorts. Been releasing lots of of uh, shorts and reels for him. Appreciate the love for the the amount of reception received from them, and so we're, we're going to continue doing that. And uh, thank you for those who tuned in live tonight for our podcast. And so if just Please go drown, drop a like, subscribe, and open up an extra tab and let it run in the background. I greatly appreciate the, the the support. Now, tonight's podcast guest is Dean Elliott. Now, he is the manufacturer, the brainchild behind Innovative Outdoors. Now, inventive. what it, what's yep. that? Inventive. Yep. Inventive. inventive. Not innovative. Inventive. <laughs> Everybody uses innovative so frequently. It's like I need to start. I like I, I'm reading it too. I'm reading it right in front of my face here. I got the <laughs> got the the website up. But Inventive Outdoors, and he's got a variety of products on his website. The link is in the post, so it's pretty easy to find the information. But we're going to talk about a set relief CWD gut check. He's got right uh, wraps, wipes bundles, all kinds of fun stuff. He has merch too. So please go and find him on Instagram. Go go to his website, support the small business. We, he, I'd appreciate it. I'm sure he'll appreciate it too. I want to get in, into the, what, what are some of the earliest influences that got you into the outdoor world that led you to inventive outdoors? Sure. Sure. Thanks for having me on, Jeff. You're welcome. Um, so I grew up in the suburbs of uh, Washington, D.C., and I can remember at a very, very young age, getting up uh, very early in the morning, like 4, 4.30 in the morning, piling into the back of my dad's pickup truck, literally in the bed portion with a, with a shell over it, with my brothers and uh, some friends, and driving about an hour and a half uh, to get to um, a military base that allowed hunting. So um, at, at a very young age, I used to go and uh, walk around with my dad while he squirrel hunted and then, uh, you know, went on to um, rabbit hunting and uh, just really, really fond memories of that. And then, of course, when I got old enough, uh, I went on to deer hunting and um, was finally able to carry my own gun. And, um, you know, just really grew up in the, I guess, in the sport um, or the lifestyle as a child, uh, you know, uh, young adult. And um, so then I... Uh, I have to say, I, you know, got into my career life, um, kind of drifted away from it a bit. Um, it took me over seven years to kill my first deer. And I think that kind of, uh, you know, um, was, was tough on me, but I did kill my first deer out in Ohio on my grandmother's farm. And that, that was just, uh, really exciting. I was, I think I was 19 years old when I did that. And, uh, so that's, that's how I got into the hunting. And then, um, as life, progressed. I got out of it. I was in a career uh, doing patent research, which we'll, we'll, I'm sure we'll talk about. And then um, my father was 
had a crossbow and uh, he was getting out of um, bow hunting. And so um, I got the crossbow from him and um, killed my first deer with a, a crossbow. And that brought me right back into the, into the life again. So you, so you, you were hunting whitetail in early age, but uh, you, do you primarily mostly hunt small game in your youth? Uh, in my youth, I'd say small game. Uh, and then, you know, we went to on to deer, but as I said, uh, through my teens, um, I struggled to kill one. And so it, uh, it sort of lost its allure for a little bit. And it was just, you know, kind of tough. Um, I think part of it was that we were on a military base and it was pretty highly hunted. Um, but then, as I said, I, I went out to Ohio and killed my first deer out there and um, then started hunting a little more in my, my late teens and early 20s. Okay. So now was your dad in the military? Is that why you were able to hunt on the base? No, it's open to the public. Um, a lot of the military bases uh, in, in my area in Virginia are open to the public. Um, you have to take some basic training classes and, uh, you know, they give you little tips like if you see um, unexploded ordnance, please don't dig it up. <laughs> Things like that. Oh, I can understand that being going through a safety training course before you can step foot because nobody wants to have to be the one to have to go out there and deal with the situation and such as that. But you know, at least you never gave up on it because hunting is one of those things where people can give up on it relatively quickly just because they're not seeing the success that others are having. I mean, I, I didn't shoot my first buck until 2017. So, you know, I've shot my fair share of does, but it's just like it just comes down with timing in the right place and making a lot of mistakes and just learning from it and becoming better at it. That's the best part. Do you live in Virginia then, or do you live out in Ohio? Cause you mentioned that you shot your first deer in Ohio. Right. So I live in Virginia, um, about 20 miles South of Washington, DC from the, the craziness of the capital. And, um, I have family in Ohio. Um, and so my grandmother, uh, at the time I had uh, a farm out there and I went out, as I said, I think it was 19 years old. And um, was finally able to kill my first uh, buck. The funny story, I'm up in my tree stand in uh, Ohio is uh, either sex. And right at daybreak, a, a deer came through 40, 50 yards away, shotgun um, slugs. And uh, I shot it. I didn't even know if it was a, a buck or a doe. I just knew it was legal shooting uh, light. And I, I hadn't killed one ever. And um my uncle, who was not too, too far away from me, came uh, towards me and from the direction the deer uh, had gone. And he found it laying there and he yelled, nice buck. And I said, really? <laughs> I had no idea. So a little eight pointer. But uh, to me, I was, I was super, uh, super pleased with it. Well, the upside is you can't eat the antlers anyways. But the fact that you have it, do you, do you, did you ever did you, uh, do a, a shoulder mount or a European mount for that buck? Uh, we just got the rack off it and, and I kept it. Okay. Uh, it's, it's everybody's different when it comes down to their first uh, memory, when it comes down to that. Like I wanted to get mine, uh, did a shoulder mount for mine, but everybody's going to be different for their experience. It all comes down to money too as well. Cause we all know that uh, getting a, a taxidermy animal is expensive. It sure is. It sure is. So um until last year, 2022, I had not had one mounted for 30 years. I, I later killed a, a nice nine pointer um, a couple years later after that Ohio deer. And I had that one mounted. And then um, this past year, I sent you a picture of a deer uh, that I killed in Ohio. 
And um, that was an 11 pointer. And uh, so he was, he's definitely going on the wall. And it was a little bit of a sticker shock uh, <laughs> from 30 years ago to today for, you know, what they cost, but it worth every penny. They really are. And it, it's a really good way to remember that, uh, that memory. Cause I like the people that actually that put the energy and the money into it. Cause now that that is a memory that's going to last you your entire life. And it's like, it's a conversation piece and it's like, it can motivate somebody else into getting hunting too. You, do you have kids that hunt or? No, no kids, just my wife and I. Does she hunt? Cause it's like, it's not uncommon now for ladies <laughs> to get out in the tree stand. It's not uncommon, but it's not her thing. She'll, she'll tell you she's a, a purebred um, city girl and, uh, her idea of hunting is is going to the grocery store and uh, finding a, a good steak. <laughs> There's nothing wrong with that, you know. It, it's 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 an acquired taste, and it's like if it's not in yet, it's just not going to happen for you. Now, she loves right. venison, oddly enough. She she actually um, until probably four or five years ago, we always had a processed had a processor, and um, you know she would eat it, but she wasn't a huge fan. And then I got one and processed it myself, and and really took a lot of time to, you know, to do it right. And after that, we started making our own breakfast sausage with spicing and all that. And she's a big fan. She loves tenderloin now. And uh, I think I've, I've brought her over to, to my side on that. That's excellent. That's a fun thing about like, if you can teach people how delicious wild game really is, and it's like, and why you go after that just that distinctive taste. It's like, why not? It's, it's just very heartwarming to see other people get, uh, become attracted to it. My wife now she's been developed. She's developed an allergy to it or something like that where, where it just kind of, just kind of runs straight through her and it's not the most pleasant. So it's like we, she eats it, but it's like very minimal amount because it's like, well, it doesn't want to all have to go straight through, you know, type scenario, but she hunts too as well. That's, that's, that's a fun thing. Shit. We haven't uh, got her lined up on a buck yet or dough. It's just a matter of time and just getting her out there and like finding the, the balance of everything we do. Sure. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So now so, do you primarily bow hunt or crossbow hunt? So I primarily crossbow hunt. I, um, I got back into it when I got my dad's crossbow from him and, um, I was hooked on, on that that idea. I, I didn't ever really compound bow hunt. Um, I did buy a compound bow and I tried to practice, but then I just found it much harder than I thought it would be. <laughs> and, uh, I found that I, I just wasn't practicing, uh, enough with it to, to be really confident with it. So, um, I've stayed, uh, primarily with crossbow. Completely understandable. I was wondering if you were injured or something like that, but yeah, it, Bow hunting is a lifestyle. That is a understatement for those who've been shooting for years. And don't ever don't get disgruntled. I really recommend doing it because it's a great way to for for therapy. Because it's like you go out there and all you can focus is on the the breathing, the draw cycle, and there's catastrophic failures that can happen along the way. But it's man, it's you can have a rough day or a rough week, and you go out and shoot a few arrows. You you're the your stress just kind of dissipates. That for me is golf also. <laughs> there we go. See, I had to do it. I just traded I either golf or archery. So I chose, I chose ar archery. Now I have what they call hemangioma in my right wrist. And so a lot of wrist action will, will, will uh, end up causing it to inflame and swell up. And it just kind of ruins my entire day. So like golf, softball, uh, bowling, it just, it just, it just gone. 
it's just unfortunate. But because those are all things I was really good at one point in time, but then it just it just got to be too much and it's inoperable. So I had to choose other things to work around. What that nice thing is like archery and pulling a trigger is a is a whole lot less stress on the wrist. Well, that's great. That's great. Now you said you got into patent law at the age of nineteen. So tell us a story on like how you came across this ad. Sure, sure. So I was actually 17. I, um, we had moved from Northern Virginia to um, Lexington, Virginia, which is a, a mountainous region of Virginia, um, at the start of my junior year of high school. Um, and my father had retired from his job. And so we moved there. And they, um, I was in an electronics class in, uh, in the city I live in. And then when we, we moved, they had a vocational school, a vocational technical school that offered electronics. So um, I was really interested in it, in electronics. And so I took two years of um, electronics in, in the Votech there. Um, had considered going into the military, had taken the entrance uh, exam, um, was called from all of the branches except the Marine Corps um, because I did pretty well in the test. And uh, they were offering me, you know, uh, to go to nuclear school for the Navy and all sorts of things. But honestly, I was a pretty unmotivated uh, teenager. I was a little chubby at the time and just, um, I don't know, just it, couldn't pull the trigger on it in my mind yet. So I moved back to Northern Virginia, I, uh, family in, in Northern Virginia, and I opened the ad, uh, the newspaper back then people still read, uh, paper and, uh, ran ads. And there was an ad in the paper for somebody with, uh, electronic experience. Um, they said that they would provide training. Uh, and so I answered it. Um, I was 17, as I said, and, um, it ended up being for a patent law firm. And, uh, so I had no idea what the job entailed. I, I met with, um, the founder of the firm, he showed me some pictures and said, you know, how are these similar? How are these different? I answered his questions and uh, he offered me the job. And so that was a Wednesday and I ended up starting uh, on Monday. Very nice. So then did you, are you are still currently working for that firm or? I stayed there for 10 years. Uh, the, the partner that hired me retired. Um, he was a founder of the firm and the other partners were more interested in um, litigation type work and not the research side of things. And so <clears throat> the workflow was was diminishing. And I, I had also done some trademark research. So I was exposed to that side of intellectual property. Uh, and I decided at that time, I just strike out on my own and start my own business um, doing patent research. So after 10 years at the firm, I started my own company. Um, I was blessed to work with some really great companies like Caterpillar. Um, I worked for Ping, uh, Golf, um, a lot of other, you know, big, big companies. And basically, so what the job entailed was uh, when uh, someone invents a new product, uh, whether it be an in-house engineer or inventor, they would send it to a, a patent firm or a research firm like mine. And uh, we would do research to see whether or not it, it had been previously patented. And then report back to the attorney or uh, engineer. And um, they decide at that point, after looking at the results, whether to proceed or not. Um, so I had my own company for 20 years. And then in 2016, I was approached uh, by another company 
um, with an offer to purchase my company and to hire my employees back. And due some due to some industry changes, I thought it was probably a good time. It was it was a little earlier than I probably would have exited, but um, a lot of that work's now being outsourced out out of the U.S. at a, a much uh, lower rate. And so I saw that as my opportunity to um, you know to take care of the guys working for me and also, you know, to sell the company. Um, so I sold it in 2016 um, and got hired back by the company and uh, spent a couple of years there. And, and that's when I actually um, had started back into hunting and had come up with my gut check indicator idea. Um, and so um, they sort of overlapped a bit. I was working full time at the, the buyer of my company and also, you know, hunting and, uh, you know, trying to enjoy the, the spoils of having sold my business. But um, uh, after a couple of years with the, the buyer, um, I just we just both decided it was time to part ways. Um, and so I had um, I'd been hunting. So the gut check indicator I was hunting with a buddy of mine who's a great um, archer. Uh, his name's Jeff, Jeff Strimmel. And he shot a deer at seven yards, a really steep angle down. And um, we were at our hunt club near Charlottesville, Virginia. And, uh, uh, he watched it run around for a little bit and then it ran off and he thought that's really odd, seven yards. And so, um, we were tracking it and lost the blood trail and then finally ended up kind of stumbling upon the deer without a blood trail and saw that the, um, arrow had exited the chest and basically it had, the cavity had sealed up, uh, with the entrails. And so I thought to myself, well, there's got to be a way to figure out if a, an arrow passes through the digestive tract of an animal. Um, so made a little note on my uh, iPhone when I got back to my stand that afternoon, uh, you know, a pH indicator for an arrow and uh, got back to work, did a little search, didn't find it, anything even uh, remotely close. And uh, so I had one of my professional researchers do an unbiased search and uh, he didn't find anything either. And so. Um, so uh, filed a patent application on it, but really didn't know how to um, how to proceed. So a friend of mine, uh, who's a, a brilliant patent attorney, his brother is a chemist, and uh, I went to my friend and I said, "Do you think your brother could figure this out? How can we make this work?" And uh, so I got in touch with him. His name's uh, Dr. Davidson uh, down in Florida. He runs a little kind of shop for problem solving, chemical type problems, and uh, he said, I think we could work it out. So um, they sent me a prototype. Uh, it was literally um, an Avery label, uh, mailing label printed on with this particular material. And um, I went to the uh, ATA show, I want to say 2017, and started talking to folks about it, you know, sh uh, showing it around. Got a lot of excitement about it. People seemed really pretty, pretty um, keen on the idea. And so, um, I got back from ATA and I still wasn't sure how to make this product, where to go. And I got an email from um, somebody who had obtained the list, the ATA list, attendees list. And it was like it was written for me. Do you have an invention? Do you need help getting it to market? I can help, um, which was pretty cool. And uh, that ended up being a gentleman by the name of Don Bell. He used to own Code Blue and Top Secret. Yeah, I know, I know Code Blue. I don't use this product, but I know of it. Yeah, yeah, he he um, was the one deer, one bottle guy, and the oxygen free. Those were his inventions in that world, and he had sold those companies off and was now 
um, doing marketing and, and consulting. And so um, he helped me find a printer that could, could mass produce the gut check indicator. We worked on all the um, packaging design, all, all the things that I had no idea, you know, how to do. And uh, so that product was, was off and running. So the first product um, is the gut check indicator error wrap. Um, and uh, this is what they look like. And this, so the center portion is pH sensitive. I was, I noticed some of the, some of the picture you had sent me. Now, does it, does, cause I know you have a reflective wrap as well. Does that gut indicator also have like reflective material above and below it? Cause I wasn't quite sure. It's very difficult to say cause you're glaring the. Yeah, sorry. Um, the upper portion here in lower portion is that reflective material. And then the, the middle portion is a pH sensitive material. Um, so it's reflective, it shows blood and, um, it changes, uh, colors immediately if it's exposed to pH. That, that is, a, that is pretty nice. Cause I would definitely would have used it this, uh, past October. I shot a doe and I shot her far little, I shouldn't, didn't do a gut check, but I shot her so far forward. You know, that little, that spot in the, in the brisket there, where it's like, if you do a complete pass clean through or pass through, they have a high probability of living, and that's what ended up happening to me. But the, it threw me for a loop because it's like as if I, my arrow must have just drifted, or I wasn't, or I didn't have it compensated with my my uh, my pin sight. But what ended up happening is it went straight through. But it's like okay, it's very clean. So it's like obviously I didn't hit anything that's real vital, but I had a lot of blood. But she never stopped running. That was a thing. I tracked her for four hundred yards, three hundred of it where I actually saw a lot of blood. So, but. It's just I had friends that was as I showed them the picture, showed them the fletchings, and like, oh, yep, I've been in your shoes. I know where you hit it at, and it's like she she she's gonna survive. So it's like, well, you know, maybe next year she'll get bigger, or she'll get eaten by the coyotes. One of the two. Right. I mean, nobody wants to gut shoot an animal, but it happens. And you know, I I, I hear all sorts of things. Uh, you know, I've had um, people say, I don't ever gut shoot an animal. You know, and well good for you. I mean, that's great, but there's so many variables, uh, these days with, um, you know, deflection, jumping the string, uh, you know, any number of things can happen, uh, ducking the arrow. I mean, there, there's just so much that can happen. And, um, you know, it's an inexpensive piece of, of assurity, really. It's just a tool, you know, but, um, you will know immediately, uh, if you've touched pH, because it will change colors instantly. I, I think I sent you a picture of that too. You did. You did send me a picture of it. I, I was cruising through your website here because now you have one set of indicators that will work for whitetail, mule deer, elk, and moose. But then, if you go, if those were on the website now, you have another one that indicates for hog turkey and bear so what makes those two strips differently based off those two different species those those multiple different species right right so the deer family are generally pretty close to one another in their diet right um and the same the same is true of the hog turkey and bear it's it's their um the ph level within their digestive tract that it's looking at so the the hog turkey and bear are very close that um material that changes colors is looking for a window um, of pH. And so only a pH level within that particular window will change the color. And it was cra the craziest thing. One of my um, employees, his mother worked for the Department of Agriculture, I believe, and she was a, a PhD scientist in turkeys, of all things. And so, you know, it, it, not too many people know the pH level of the stomach of a turkey. <laughs> so, you know, 
it was just a resource I was able to go to and, and determine. And uh, same thing's true of the, um, the hog and the bear. So because their diets are different than deer, they have a different stomach acid pH. And, and that's why there are two families of uh, indicators. That's a pretty smart thing to do. It's like, so how long did it take? So you started everything in 2016. So how long did it take you to get your, your survey gut check system on the market then? I think we got it on the market, um, the, the wrap in 2019, I believe. So that wasn't too much of R&D to get to that point and get it launched out there. So that's a quick turnaround for that whole process. Right. Yeah, it was, it was a pretty quick turnaround. And then uh, you, you see on the website, we sell um, wipes as well. So this little dry wipe does the same thing. It's got a pH-sensitive material on it. You retrieve your arrow, wipe the shaft. And if um, there's pH present on the arrow, it's going to change colors instantly. If it's if it's just blood, um, blood is neutral and it won't change colors. It'll just show red. Okay, yeah, because yeah, and then you got the gut shot that that turns what orange, golden orange, or something like that. Uh, yeah, the um, the wipe actually turns a bit green when you when you wipe it along the shaft if there's any um, acid on it. What, what uh, motivates you to do a wipe? Because it seems like the arrow wrap is like a pretty surefire thing. So two things. Um, I, this was kind of new to me, and I, I learned um, as I got into the industry, archers are very particular people. <laughs> That's, that is, uh, yeah, you are exactly correct. Yeah. <laughs> when, when you start talking to particular people about adding any sort of weight or attachment to their arrow. Some people are just absolutely dead set against that, that idea, even though it weighs nine grains. I mean, it's not, you know, much weight at all. People were just sort of adverse to the idea of, of putting a, a wrap or any sort of weight onto the arrow. The other thing is it was a bit of a defensive move as well, because I figured if I don't do it with a wipe, somebody will, you know, sort of from the, the posturing uh, standpoint. And the other thing is, the wraps oftentimes in really bad weather, if they get soaked, they're not really usable. So you can carry the wipe in your pack. There's six in a pack. Retrieve your arrow, wipe the wipe the wipe or wipe the arrow with it, and and you'll know instantly. So each one has its benefits. The I really like the reflective part of the the arrow wrap. That it helps you find the arrow really quickly. It's super bright. It's it's the brightest material we could find. So you get that benefit, but as I said, there are just some people that don't want to add any weight to their arrow or change their, their setup at all. I can understand that. I can feel that their, their hesitancy on that particular thing, but all it does is you just got to practice with it. I have a friend of mine that, that what he's, when he start building a new setup, stuff like that, trying a new arrow, he, there's no fletchings on stuff like that. He just, just shoots it and see where it flies all that makes those micro adjustments and adds things as he goes through and continues to make it but that's it's he likes tinkering like that he's just got that mindset for it and it's like he's been he's inviting me to come down and hang out with him but i've been focused we, we well we've both been focusing on hunting season now we're well season's going to be done here uh tuesday the 31st of january so then it's like well now i'm now my time freeze up it's like i want to come down and like actually do a breakdown of the arrow and learn from there so have you done well since you, so have you done any testing with arrow flights with any like have you just given like hey give us your feedback on the trajectory of this arrow after you put the the wraps on it. Have you done something like that? Yeah, we have. Um, we've had users uh, put them out. We've had people post on Facebook that, you know, showing that they Robin Hood with them. Uh, still, some people are just so so skeptical. It's hard to change their mind. So, you know, 
that's that's why the wrap. I mean, the white makes a, a good alternative for for some people. You know, we have uh, guides that tell us. You know, with with the speed at which arrows are traveling, and especially crossbows uh, these days, it, they have a lot of hunters that will say, "I, I know I hard shot that deer," and then they'll find the deer and it turns out that they got shot it just because you can't track uh, with your eye. And so we've had people, you know, really um, be thankful to be able to use it as a, as a tool to be able to, to add one more piece of information to, uh, to, you know, to the hunt. Yeah. That, that would definitely would have made a, uh, make it anybody's day a little bit easier. Cause then if they know it's a, been a gut shot, then it allows them now it's like, well, it looks like I'm going to go, go home, right. have a nice shower, go That's take right. a nap and That's then come right. back in the morning. Yeah. I guess depending on where you are these days with the coyote problem, that seems to be pretty prevalent, but you know, if you can wait, it's, you know, when in doubt back out, as they say, that is, that is the, the wise tale that, that will never last. will never end. So you also have another products as well. You have a couple different colors for those. Now, do these go, do they, do you put your fletchings on or do they just wrap at the back of the arrow towards the fletchings? Cause I've seen different layouts. Just the reflective wraps. Some people will fletch over, um, or they'll just add it, you know, sometimes, uh, to the back of the arrow. So we make just, just reflective. And then we make the indicator, uh, wrap as well, but I would not recommend, um, fletching over the indicator because you'd be covering over the indicator material. That's what I would be figuring too, because there's not a lot of space, not a lot of that diameter on an arrow anyways. You start adding fletchers, fletchings on there, you just pretty much lost the entire indicator. It makes sense in why you put it right behind the broadhead. No, uh, you know, you, well, the nice thing about making for wraps is it works for crossbows and for bow and arrows. We just use the standard size wrap. The, I think the one thing you would want to avoid is overlap. If you're using a micro diameter, you could always trim it. The, the big thing is we went with just the standard size wrap. So what came next after the uh, gut check? Because I see you also have CWD free and then you have scent relief. They're two different products. Intertwined, but different, different products. So I was working on the gut check indicator uh, with Don, as I mentioned, and um I said to him, I said, Don, I don't know why I haven't asked you about this. I'd, I'd sent an email maybe a year prior to, to even meeting Don to that chemist in, in Florida. I said, this is going to sound really crazy, but is it possible for me to convert my urine into deer attractant? And <laughs> it took him a day to get back to me or so. He said, well, Dean, probably, maybe. He said, but it's just not my my area of expertise. I, I wouldn't know how to begin. He's some super polymer guy, you know? <laughs> so he, he just didn't know how to how to proceed, nor did I. And I knew just, just enough about urine to be dangerous, right? Um, I'd done a little research and it, as it turns out, like 95% of urine is water. And then there's, you know, 5% of other stuff. So I figured, well, if it's all 95% water, you know, there should be a way to do this. So I kind of had tabled it. I was working on gut check and then I met Don. And as I said, and I said, Don, I, I want to forward, forward you this email that I had sent to my chemist and, you know, you tell me what you think. And so I sent it to him and he called me up and he said, Dean, I think it's probably doable. I, I just, you know, I don't know how, but my, my chemist probably does. And so he put me in touch with his chemist who's been in the hunting industry for over uh, 30 years. And um, the guy said, I think we can make it happen. And so um, they sent me some prototypes and uh, <laughs> I peed in a bottle. I, I added a, this powder to it that they provided, waited a little while, added the second bottle, 
at that time, I think it was the apple scent that uh, I was using. I put it out behind my house. I've got some woods, put a camera on it, and the deer came to it. And I was absolutely blown away. So that started the process of, of scent relief, uh, which is on my shirt. And so the idea being, you can go into your stand, take this bottle with you. So you've got this 20 ounce bottle. Uh, inside it are two different bottles. So you go up to the fill line, add the neutralizing powder, wait 15 minutes, add the second bottle. And now you've got 16 ounces of tarsal scent or estrus buck dough. We also make it in uh, cover scents. And so we've got a raccoon cover scent, for instance, a fox. All of these uh, have been field tested. They've been put out all over the U.S. and the deer and animals come to it um, as if it's natural deer urine or, you know, a cover scent. So now with the, the you putting water in these bottles? Uh, no, you're, you're peeing in the bottle. Oh, yes. yeah, you're actually using your own urine for it. <laughs> that is clever yes. marketing. It's like, you don't yeah. have to worry about water. No, you're, you're peeing in the bottle up to the fill line. And then, no kidding. Absolutely. No kidding. And the science behind it is, is pretty simple. Whether it's your urine, my urine, a bear, a deer, whatever, it's 95% water. And so there's 5% of other stuff in there that we figured out how to target. So we neutralize it, we oxygenate it, and then we add the second bottle. And so, like I said, in this case, the second bottle contains our tarsal scent. You, after you add the neutralizing powder to it, after about 15 minutes and it fizzes and stops, you have effectively created just a neutral urine base. You could pour it out and the deer wouldn't be affected by it. But now you've created this base that you can add any scent to you want and, and use it to your advantage. So now are these a one and done scenario or you could use, you can use these throughout the season. So with the current package it comes with, it'll stay fresh in the bottle for weeks. You know, we don't sell like a separate refill kit because there are a couple of things, you know, you'd ha you have to use a big enough bottle to allow the, the reaction to take, take place. There's bacteria stuff, you know, you wouldn't want somebody using a dirty old bottle. They've been using for something else and, you know, uh, and using it. So we provide the bottle, the whole kit. And you're making, like I said, uh, up to 16 ounces of attractant for $14.97. So then with the attractant, now I've seen some of the pictures, I mean, they, they add everything together. It does through the 15 minutes. Do you just leave the bottle out there then? Or do you, then you, that, that becomes your attractant. So I do different things with it. If I'm sitting in a stand, I might use our Bucker dose and after I've um, converted it and pour, you know, a couple ounces straight off of my tree stand as a cover scent. You can use it just like any other attractant, like make mock um, scrapes with it. You can put it in a dripper. You can use it on a drag line. You can use it just like any other deer attractant. Oh, okay. So it's multi. So by doing that, you can, you can use those little scent things along with using a drag. Okay. I wasn't quite sure with it. If you, if you, once you make it, you have to just basically use it for one at the bottle, but you can dump it out and put it where you want it to go to, to either to funnel the deer to where you want them to go or. Right. Yeah. You can, like I said, you can, um, you know, people make wicks, they have all sorts of heated type dispensers. You can pour it in there. Um, you're essentially in the deer's mind, you're essentially making six, 16 ounces of deer urine to use any which way you want to use. Very cool. So then 
did you have any t- have any footage of like any mature bucks like the uh, eight nine year or while well, that's six seven year old range on on camera smelling that urine because that's what a lot of guys like to see is like is the proof out there is like do you have is there because that's the biggest thing is like if you have a youtube channel that's where you, you if you get all these guys with cameras like hey get me vo- videos of this stuff coming to it because that's what really drives the drives the scent home is like yeah we do um one thing is really cool we had a guy at, at our hunt club down in virginia and um he, he was skeptical of course and a lot of people are and um he said you give me a big mature buck coming into that and and i'll be a believer it was his urine he put it out and within like two days of putting it out there was a, a doe a coyote, a mature buck, and a black bear all came to the same spot. That is strange to have two predators, a varmint, and then two doe come. That is, I've I've had um I've done the the, the big blocks, the feeders, and stuff like that, and I've seen uh, deer, coyotes, and coons come to them, but nothing like that. But something like all three of those showing up, that is a. Uh, and in my mind, if you can get by the coyote, you're doing something. I mean, the coyotes are pretty smart, and a black bear. I mean, they're pretty, pretty smart. Um, I sent you a photo. Also, um, we have some guys up in Canada that um, use our attractants and uh, they put our acorn scent out on a bear stand. And I, I sent you a picture of the bear coming into it. We have video, video of a bear coming into human urine that's been converted to um, acorn scent. And we could literally, we could make bacon, we could make any smell. Uh, you know, that we need to make honey buns, you know, you name it. Um, it's just a matter of, you know, the um, demand driving production. So what's the longevity of this once you, so like a lot of places here, we'll use uh, Wisconsin, for example, our deer season starts September 18th, usually the second week of September and runs till uh, January 31st. So would, would this length of a season, would this be a you would probably want to use more than one bottle because you can use different scents, right? So you could use estrus during the rut and, and tarsal during the rut, but it won't go bad. As I said, we um, one of the things we do when we oxygenate it is we kill the bacteria. And that's important because, um, and, and I knew none of this or little of this before I started this process, but all urine inside the body is, um, there's no bacteria, it's sterile. Right. And so the second that um, air starts to hit it, it then starts to break down. It starts to ammoniate. We're during our manufacture, we take real urine. Well, in the scent relief case, it's your urine. It's uh, sterile. It's going into a bottle. We stop the breakdown when we add the neutralizing powder and oxygenate it. And so that's why it's not going to break down and, and um, become pungent like a lot of urines can after they've been exposed to air. Okay, that's that's actually a really good explanation for it then. Well, that's a kind of a reassurance because there's always going to have those ones that are like, well, it doesn't last very long. And it kind of beats that objection from why you, what somebody would want to not buy it and such. So then, so one of the things that we run into a lot is people say, well, why do I need that? I can just pee in a scrape. You know, that's one, one thing I hear a lot of. Now I was brought up that as a hunter, you don't pee in the woods. Yeah, I don't eat. I don't either. Unless there's a running stream nearby. I do not do it because we're carnivores. We're on top of that being omnivores and they know that smell that, that, uh, enzyme that. Yeah. People say, well, you know, they can't really tell the difference between, you know, um, human urine and, you know, another urine. And, and I ask, well, 
do you think they can tell the deer can tell the difference between a coyote urine and a, another deer? Of course they can. I mean, they, I've heard some of your other guests I was listening earlier. You know, there are people that have studied this in, uh, greatly, and there are, what, 300 million receptors in their nose or some, some insane number like that. And, you know, they smell things that we don't smell. And so, but, but my counter to um, that sort of position is that, yes, you can go pee in a scrape and a deer may come into it. You know, generally the understanding is a mature buck won't. It's usually a younger, you know, younger buck or maybe a doe. They're, they're a little more inquisitive than, you know, a, a mature buck. But in this case, you know, so people say that my urine doesn't scare them away. And my sort of counter to that is, but yes, but you can't make your smell like asterisk. You can't make your smell like tarsal and we can. And so, you know, why not, why not use it? The other positive side of this, and this kind of leads into the next product line is that I realized like in Virginia, where I live, the only attractant you can use legally is fully synthetic. You can't even have real deer urine on you legally when you're hunting uh, in the state of Virginia um, because of chronic waste disease. So one of the natural benefits of uh, scent relief, aside from being able to relieve yourself and, and make a whole lot of urine for the same price as a couple ounces of, of others, is that it can't carry chronic waste disease. Uh, humans don't carry it. And so the regulations in Virginia, much like uh, the other states that have banned natural deer urine, specifically ban the use of urine attractants that are cervid or um, deer urine. And so humans aren't servants, so it made it legal in, in the state of Virginia and those other states that have banned it. That's important because that takes us to the chronic, uh, the CWD free line of attractant that we have. So what I realized then is that we can take any source of urine, capture it, animal urine, capture it, put it through the chemistry, and then bottle it. And so now you have a um, non-servid urine that's an attractant that's legal in most states that can't spread chronic waste disease. Uh, and so that's when I came out with the uh, CWD free line of pre-bottled attractants using the same chemistry as scent relief. That's pretty good. Now this is the, 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 the scent relief, the addition to the attractants, that's the scent relief, uh, no more order essentially. Cause see that you've moved it on to a nice little bundle where you got the opportunity for body and soap. Right. Yeah. So we have um, those offerings as well. They were formulated by our chemists, but they're not really anything to do with like urine. There's no urine um, piece to it. It's just that they're really good um, soaps and uh, laundry soap and all, but they're um, just an add on because we wanted people, people were asking, Hey, do you have, you know, anything in laundry soap? And so we started putting that out as well. But the, the CWD free is the, um, the non-servid based urine that's um, pre-bottled. So again, that's taken, and, and this is the challenge in it. We're using real animal urine. We're um, capturing it. It's, it's non-deer, non-servid urine. So it's real animals. We capture the urine. We put it through the chemistry, just like the scent relief product. And then we bottle it. So... So since you don't use deer, so what do you guys use for as 
So we don't really um, put that out, you know, it's, yeah. Well, you know, I joke with people that we could use alligator urine if we could figure out how to catch it. That is true. Cause it's like, you're, like you said, it's 95% water. All you're doing is adding that extra chemicals to change the, the, uh, right. To neutralize it. And then, uh, um, add whatever scent you want to add to the base. Yeah. Cause this is pretty cutting edge. Cause as far as I'm aware, most everybody, either, they're either doing a full synthetic or they're using full deer urine that comes from a CWD free farm. Like I have a friend of mine, Rich Cook. He used to have Cook's Deer Tract, and his his business was crushing it. And he was he was putting big bucks to the wall. People were just loving his product. Well, then Minnesota passed some very draconian laws on him, and it basically bankrupted him. Not, I don't know if it bankrupted him, but it definitely did slow his whole roll on everything because he was living way up north I mean, he lives way up by the minnesota and canada canada border rarely there was no cwd up there so you know that that's one of the things i get um i run into a lot people will be um they feel like it's a government conspiracy it doesn't exist you know all these different things and and my point in it um my perspective is first of all those scientists are way smarter than me I mean, you know, those guys that that figured out the prions and, and all that, they're, they're super smart guys. And I trust, you know, what they have to say. I'm not trying to um, to take away anybody's livelihood for, for sure. You know, what I'm saying is there are states that have banned it and more states are looking at it at banning it. I believe if, if you could get people to really be honest about it, most people would tell you they truly believe that synthetics are not as effective as real deer as real urine at attracting deer because fully synthetics don't contain the compounds that um, that urine contains. And deer are smart. We've already talked about that. You know, animals, bears, all, all the they're very very smart and they know what to expect when they smell something. And so, um, mm-hmm. my point is, I found a way to take real urine albeit not deer urine, put it through a chemical process um, and then add uh, scents to make, if you will, a hybrid is, is how I would describe it. Primarily urine with a little bit of scent additive to it once it's neutralized. And, um, and we can have the best of both worlds here because it's real urine. It's going to attract deer. In fact, I um, sent uh, samples to a university that has a, um, a deer program and I said, I just want to answer this question. Does it work as well as real deer urine at attracting deer? They did, they did a study. They sent me the results back with all their data, their trail camera pictures, all this stuff. And um, they said to me, Dean, we can confirm that it, it attracts uh, deer as effectively as real deer urine. I thought, well, that's great. But he said, we also noticed one other thing. And I said, what's that? He said, after a certain amount of time, the, it appears that the real urine broke down and stopped it, um, attracting deer and yours continued on so much. So it lasted 66% longer than real deer urine. That's where you, that's where, that's where the, the claim comes on your website. Cause I was reading that on some of the products there that. Right. Right. It was, um, it was tested against a real deer urine. Um, you know, and, uh, that was the conclusion that they came that it, it works as well as real deer urine and it lasts 66% longer in the field. So we have a urine-based attractant now that lasts longer, works as well as real deer urine. 
and can't spread chronic waste disease. So to me, it's a win-win situation. That is true. I was kind of back in 2019. There was a pre, there was a doctor. His name was uh, Dr. Frank Bastian of the Louisiana State University of Agriculture, and he was making breakthroughs on the particular um, on CBWD in itself and trying to figure out ways to be able to create it. And he was thinking like in this was 2019. So his idea was that he wanted to develop a portable CWD. Uh, test kit within the next 18 to 12 to 18 months. Well, that's already come and passed. And then he also announced the plans for, for a CWD vaccine for captive deer and elk within two to three years. Well, we're reaching that four-year mark, and I don't think Dr. Bastian is really – I don't think he's got any closer because it's always fun reading the papers because there's dozens of them out there that you can read through. But it would be nice to figure out what causes it, how we do it. Is like, is it a, a reaction with our pesticides or herbicides that mix in with our, our current um, – or is it something that's actually genetically altered inside the corn or the soybeans that are mutating something inside the deer too as well it's a it's a very unique dynamic to figure it all because i live in wisconsin we are the, the poster child of what not to do when it comes down to uh, taking care of your uh whitetail herd yeah i mean it, it's such a it's such a huge industry and you know um certainly uh we want to be good stewards of of the um the deer and the herds and um you know that's really important and so that's it honestly, if 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 I just thought I'm going to be in the deer urine in industry one day, with all the people that are out there doing a phenomenal job at it, that have deer herds, that you know, um, do such a, a a great job of trying to protect the herds and you know all that, I would never have gone into the industry. It's just sort of it morphed from you know being able to use human urine to into this non-servid based uh, urine attractant. And um, as I said, I, I wouldn't have gone into the industry for, you know, if I was just going to be another brand, so to speak. That is, that is the, the genuine uh, approach with your whole, with the whole company. It's like you're creating something that's completely innovative and it's like you're creating less waste because now the human himself is going to be able to urinate in the bottle, create the product, and then you're, then you're good to go. Instead of having to bring out water, another water bottle, and extra stuff you got to carry on. I mean, granted, everybody carries a water jug with them and stuff like that, but it's 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 just a great way to dispel it, you know. But that's unique that the you have that your your scientists, your the way your mind has worked and created this is a really unique approach to the whole outcome of it all. And it's like it's there's it, the thing is it's, there's a lot of competition in the the deer urine world, so. You know, the proof is in the pudding. It's like, as soon as you get that one, like uh, the Hoffman buck, or you get one of these just um, like a freak nasty out of Iowa or the Yukon out of Wisconsin, you get one of those on camera. That's gonna, That's usually what changes your uh, your whole approach when it comes down to like, I know JNS uh, sense, they, that guy out of Tennessee, not the Huffman buck, but what's the gentleman's name? Can't remember it, uh, Steven something, but he shot that massive 200 some inch buck, and the, their sales just went through the roof. So it's just it's amazing how fast you get one of those one of those animals associated with your your products, and then it's like that's a, that's a pretty much a a businessman's wet dream right there because you get a big bu you get a big monster uh, bull, or you get a beautiful uh, boar. Uh, like a massive bear, a black bear, geez, man, that's that's gonna send, that's gonna make everything much different because everybody's very very interested in about it. And even come to find out too, like some of the bear hunters and the guides, they're actually putting in throwing a dewormer into their their bait piles because it's like 
it's going to help clean out their systems because there's pictures and there's videos out there with 10 foot long tapeworms coming out the <laughs> yeah. these poor bears rectums and stuff like that. it's like man you poor guys but it's like it's it's an alternative works and like i've i've had several friends now over the last three years get bear tags and not fill one yet but they're very hard a very elusive creature to get so um you mentioned you know people being successful so we had a um a guy named ryan blackwell he owns black gate uh trail cameras he killed a 191 inch deer using our cwd free um yeah in ohio i mean just just a monster um we've got a lot of people that have been using the product it's just um as you said it's a very competitive space um one of the challenges uh quite frankly is trying to get um a rep group uh i don't know if you're familiar with that whole process but um you know, basically boots on the ground out trying to sell your product because a lot of them already have some, you know, competing brands that they represent. And so trying to get them to take on your brand uh, becomes a conflict of interest for them. And, and you know, they're generally people are going to go with what's known. Um, and so it, it's made it hard to to get uh, a rep group uh, that was, you know, and, and also finding one that's willing to work for, you know, and uh, I'd call myself an unestablished brand, you know, and unknown. And, um, you know, that, that's just a fact of, of reality. Um, so having people willing to, to go out there and go to bat for the, the small guy and, and work harder, um, has been a challenge. That's completely understandable. I have actually, I have a couple of guys I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to set up a, a chat group outside of outside of our podcast here. And one of his, his name's Dirk Stark, and he's got – oddly enough, it's Stark Industries, nothing to play on uh, MCU, but that's just kind of how it kind of rolls because his last name is Stark. Great guy, but he's got the mind for marketing, um, and he's got a pretty good network of people. That's It's a great way to start from there. And hopefully he can introduce you to uh, – it's just it's all it takes is one introduction to get the ball rolling, and that's how just how uh, – I, I'm just being blessed as being a podcaster. Like I get to have all these great people on here. And if you notice on my wall here, I don't have anybody that's a it's a it's a sense sponsor because it's such a tricky thing to 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 put my uh, hook my card up to because there's a lot of great guys out there. But it's like having this platform out here for people to listen to. It's like it just it just provides that freedom for it because like if I sign up with one particular scent person, I can't have anybody else on there. It's kind of like I want I want to talk to all these people because everybody has a different version of science behind it because I've, I've had uh zach renew from native sense out of alabama brian sparks with lucky seven cents then i have then you're speaking with yourself here it's like well if i if i partner up with one person it's like kind of lose the opportunity to talk to all these really unique people especially your type of innovative technology like actually being inventive and like thinking outside the box and like that's what um could get allow us to keep moving to the next level and such and having a good product that's environmentally friendly dirt cheap to produce dirt cheap to actually purchase and, and use and reuse that's that's the the kind of thing there you know well you were talking about bears so i'm sure you see this guy behind me that was uh <laughs> that i do was, see uh, that bear yeah just um a real quick story i i uh had invented the gut check and um i was down in my hunt club got there late on a Friday and it was the crossover Friday was um, archery for bear was in. And then Saturday morning was the start of black powder. And so I got to, got to my stand late. I, um, it was like 85 degrees. I said, well, I'll take my climber in, put it on my spot. 
I'll just hunt to the rest, you know, for the rest of the evening. And um, so I got to my spot, climbed up the trees, just soaking wet, 85 degrees. It's like four, four thirty. Next thing you know, maybe 45 minutes later, I I look to my left and I just see this black thing come trotting out of the mountain laurel. I'm like, I think that's a bear. <laughs> and uh, it got like 20 yards from me, broadside to me. And I'm like, what do I do? He's kind of trotting. And um, I, I stopped it like I would a deer. I just went, man. And he stopped and he, you know, looked right up at me at 20 yards and I had my crossbow and I shot him and I saw the, my bolt hit him and it, it had a gut check on it. And uh, he actually went from his feet over on his back, landed on his feet and, and ran away. And I was just uh, super excited, but got down, looked at the gut check. It had blood all over it and uh, called my buddies. And we had a tracker for a little ways, but we found it. And it was just, uh, I mean, I, I'll never forget it you know, for, for the rest of my life. It was really exciting. That is just absolutely exciting. You know, I have, uh, I, I haven't, I've been putting in for a tag here in, in Wisconsin. I haven't got drawn yet, but fingers crossed one day it will happen. But man, it is, that's something I want to be excited about to, to be in that position. I was hunting up in Northern Wisconsin here back in October and where I was hunting at, like, not even 60 yards away one night, about 11 o'clock at night, my trail cam goes off and I get some pictures and here comes a sow with two cubs. And it's like, oh boy. And so that's, I'm more scared of a, of a sow than I am a boar, because at least a boar, they're going to take off and run. But sow, man, they they the little bluff charger, or as we've seen this year, they can be very aggressive towards uh, uh, humans, because we've had so many different encounters out west in Colorado and Wyoming and such. As a kid, you know, um, a teenager, I, I don't know why, I don't know what it was, but I was definitely afraid of the idea of, of, of a bear when I was out deer hunting. Um, I don't know why. It just uh, was something I didn't want to ever face. That's that's the, the worst one. Uh, the, if you're ever going to encounter a predator, it'd probably be a mountain mm. lion because those at least go for the <laughs> yeah. jugular and then you're, you're just done. Those, the bears, we've, we've seen we've seen the guy trying to be, befriend bears and you hear the screams in his video cord as it's yeah. the bears eating yeah. it from the feet <laughs> no, thanks. up. Yeah, yeah. This this was, um, like I said, super exciting. And we, we don't bait or anything in Virginia. It's illegal to, to bait here. Yeah. So it was just all really? happened all natural, you know, and uh, yeah, the right place at the right time. I was shocked because like I said, I was sweating like crazy. And uh, um, he came 20 yards from me and, and gave me the shot. And I just, you know, he had, it, it was a three-year-old bear. They, they aged him and he weighed about 200 pounds. So I was just, just ecstatic. I hadn't come out with it yet. Um, this was when the gut check had just come out. Okay, so this has been that that 2019 era then. Isn't that something, man? Because those those bears have just yes, they can. Sites, but boy, they, they absolutely can. Because I don't know if you've seen the the Netflix show uh, with uh, Steve Rinella and Meat Eater and stuff like that. They're out there hunting in my uh, I think it was Montana spring bear season, and they had a bear really? wind them at 1,200 yards. Yeah, you could you they 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 have it all on camera too. It's it's absolutely unbelievable. The fact that you got within 15 yards did smell you. It must have been the right thermals or something, you know. I I don't know, but what what an experience it was. It was pretty exciting. That that is just absolutely mind blowing. Well, earlier this year, I've met uh, there was a guy on Instagram. His it's actually called um, Rut Holsters, and I was, I just recently purchased a new uh, bino harness, and I got he sent me one of his uh, 
It's a uh, can koozie. It's a, like a, a slap bracelet for it. So it's the best part is you can just slap it on there while waiting for another beer. And uh, he came out with Molly holsters that can go on your bino harnesses. And the fact he did a, a custom one was perfect for it. But after dealing with, like, because being in Wisconsin, I knew I, I, my wife always wants me to carry because we have wolves, we have bears, we have cats. And so I. I thought it was like perfect right before season kicks off. I'm going to have my podcast soon and I need to get one of these and put it on there. And it's like, it sets right into my bottom harness or I can have it uh, horizontal. Uh, you could do it horizontal, but it's not going to be very comfortable or vertical. Excuse me. So I have it horizontal that sits underneath it. I used it, banged around with it, did not fall out once. I mean, it's just a typical Kydex holster, but it's the the fact that it's very secure. Everything he does everything out of Colorado, but when it comes down to bears though, you know, it's like having something to help you for protection. It's just, and plus, it doesn't put on your hips. It puts it center mass, so it's just much easier to grasp it. So this way, you're not having to fumble with the pack. Yeah, a lot of guys at our club carry them on their chest, you know, in a, uh, some sort of holster there. Because mm-hmm. you guys out there, Virginia, North Carolina, South Carolina, they're all over through that place. Plus, you also got New, uh, New Jersey, too. I mean, those guys have had issues with bears for decades, and yet they <laughs> keep on doing the opposite. Instead of opening up a season, they just like, well, we're just gonna we're gonna have the taxpayers pay for professional hunters to. Yeah, they used to do that actually in Virginia, where I live too, um, downtown Fairfax. They they were using off-duty policemen, um, you know, paying just crazy amounts of money. Uh, I I think I heard something to the effect of um, it was around a thousand dollars per deer by the time they pay the, um, you know, the overtime and sharpshooters and and all that, uh, you know. Yes. Wow. That's when expensive. you could get, you know, some some very competent hunters to go and do it for nothing. Yeah, you they'll they'll gladly they'll pay you to go and grab a tag to go do. We have a a metro season here in in my hometown or my not in West Salem where I live, but in La Crosse, you can do that. There's a lot of other areas in Minnesota and Wisconsin where you can do uh, residential hunts. There's their own rules and stipulations for it, but it's like you why not? Because it's like, but then it's like you have that extra added pl- pressure that's like. You're gonna, you're gonna, to, which would make sense to have if you have yourself a uh, a gut check op, a system set up so this way. Then if you do happen to shoot one and you don't hit it in the right spot, it just tends to take off. It's like now, yeah, you, you have something to give you that reassurance because especially if the arrow doesn't fall out. Especially in those urban environments, like you're talking about, um, you know, so many people with like the Seek One guys and all that in Atlanta that are, you know, they they brought a lot of attention to hunting big bucks in, in the urban areas and all. And um, the last thing you you would want is to shoot one and have it go lay down in your neighbor's yard and, you know, pursue it too quickly. Oh, man. And plus, on top of the two, you, that the deer lands in, in a Karen's backyard. I, I was I was on a podcast last Thursday, and I was not I was a guest, and I was talking about the story about the buck that's sitting behind me here, and get, I had to go retrieve it out of, out of his backyard the following day, and boy, he, <laughs> he, 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 don't, he didn't like me very much after that, because I did wake him up at 6 o'clock in the morning, but uh, my the landlord I was hunting, he didn't like him either, so as a big middle finger <laughs> to him, he allowed me to hunt his property. And then, w- once he retired, that's what he was like, hey, you can't hunt anymore, because now I'm retired, because when they would be off work, or when they would be home, he'd be at work, so we never to deal with him and when he's when he's uh sleeping 
they're getting ready to go and take off to go to work. So it's like you never had to deal with anybody. Now he retired. It's like, sorry, you can't hunt here anymore. So, but needless to say, I have been watching his property to see if it comes up for sale because I will gladly – because it funnels in a perfect spot where it has bed covering out of the wind and it's got water. What do you got left? Because you said you have another product that's, that you're currently – So I'm working on a product. Um, basically, it's the gut check indicator uh, in a liquid format. So um, it would be in a pen like this. And basically – it's got a brush on the end and um, you would be able to wipe it anywhere on the arrow, um, basically paint it. Uh, you could put it on a, on a wrap and, you know, actually paint it on the wrap or even on the fletchings. But the idea is the same. If, um, if it passes through blood, it's just going to stain red on this portion. But if it touches uh, pH, it's going to change colors. In fact, I'm going to try and show you, see how well you can see this, but let me see. You can see how yellow maybe that that's turned. I don't know with the camera, but. Um, I can I can see that it looks like a uh, highlighter, highlighter marker. Yeah. So basically that is the reaction um, to the, uh, uh, the gut check indicator. This is vinegar. So it's acidic and it's just changing color. So as soon as it touches, it's going to change colors and you're going to know that you have gut shot that quickly oh that's very convenient then because then this way then it 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 solves the well you have the wipes now and as another defensive move you have the gel no did you take this i did i did i i um posted on facebook that i was working on it because a lot of people have been asking about it and um i said you know look me up uh you know i'll be around and so i got an opportunity to show it to a, a lot of people and there's a lot of buzz. A lot of people are really uh, interested in the idea. So when do you feel like it's going to hit the market? Do you think it's going to hit before the South is done with their hunting season or is it going to be probably fall, for... probably this fall coming up, you know, with um, COVID even getting these little brushes is not as easy as you would think just uh, supply chain stuff. And that's, that's been one setback. Um, a lot of the products, like I came out with um, scent relief at the beginning of 2020 at ATA and then um, everything got shut down. All the trade shows got shut down. So it makes it real hard. You know, my, my products for better or worse are ones that have, um, a high level of education that has to take place. You know, people don't just walk by and, and naturally understand what it is. Um, and we've worked with some marketing companies to try and put together uh, materials and videos and, you know, Facebook and, and all that uh, invested a lot of time and effort and, and money in doing that. But, um, you know, it, it, it has made it difficult for, for small businesses like myself to get out there and, and actually educate people. And, and, uh, you know, a lot of people would walk by this and say, well, which one do I drink? <laughs> you know, it's like, uh, I recommend none of it, <laughs> you know? So it's, it's been tough. That is, that is a big thing that's been happening ever since they kind of changed the algo and they've been coming very pushing towards these, they're being very anti self-reliant. I've noticed that too, with my, even my organic reach that it once was, I'm not even hitting the numbers I used to here back in 2017, 2018, 2019, like pretty pretty much 2020 until now it's been very censored now with, uh, with, Twitter with Elon Musk exposing what was all going on that we all knew about, but it's like you needed somebody to expose it with some credibility. And now, so now we're starting to see it. So you may actually have to start focusing on Twitter because of the fact, the fact that it's starting to open up and then you got, uh, 
Instagram does pretty well too as well. That's where that's where your pictures of uh, having your bucks being harvested right next to it stuff like that. That's where that's where it really comes in to b- develop those uh, get those releasing those pictures and those stories and stuff like that and what they did and becoming and getting like those those quick thirty second videos or well nowadays you got to have between that twelve to fifteen seconds otherwise people just get bored with them because even trying to trying to market this on YouTube Reels or or in Meta, I should say, because that's Facebook and Instagram. But you can't do it on on TikTok because I'll ban <laughs> you for it. Because I've gotten four strikes. Like I've tried to try to be sneaky and put some pictures in there, and like, nope, you're done. Like you just like will pull your video and such. So it's very challenging to get after it. But then we also have Rumble too. Rumble is another platform that is that is very uh, based society. Like for, for, like if it's very um promoting of all things it doesn't doesn't censor like it does with other big tech and such so there you guys that have so maybe going after twitter may be the better option just because of the fact that elon musk is now at the head of the show and he's being able to he's releasing the twitter fires he's doing releasing all this stuff so it's like probably a a safe bet to get back on that platform because the lot up until he before he took over man it was just a it was dumpster fire because you couldn't you couldn't promote any products on there because they were they needed to censor everything anything that was a, a competing opinion you're not going to be able to do it because that's that's the wrong thing about it because science is always ever evolving and being able to have a discussion about cwd and like what are what are people doing because I, I granted, I understand PhDs kind of have a, an ego on their shoulder, and they want to be able to do it. But it's like we, as a as a human collective, we need to preserve this, and there's the, the we don't need to be selfish. We need to like, what is everybody doing? What is everybody trying? Because if we don't fix it, we're going to end up having a massive issue. Lock, knock on wood, we haven't had any had any confirmed cases of CWD transferring into humans. Uh, did you ever hear a couple years ago that they they're out in Oklahoma? They had a massive virus, like pretty much decimated the groundhog population. Have you heard of this? So what they did is they, they isolated the problem and the, the delivery system on how they delivered the vaccine for it was just beautiful. They used um, peanut butter and they, and they kind of create like dump sites for it. And you just dump it out there and then put trail cams up and then they eventually would eat it and then it would spread it around and it tasted really good. And more and more came and that's how they solved the problem without having to do any major, any other uh, massive interjection to their, their bio, their ecosystem. Because if you try to spray something, well that could affect their, you, that, it, that will have unsurmounted tolls that could play on the heart on the landscape and also the water but being in a peanut butter to dissolve it kind of all goes through it and it solved the problem they, they, now they're because that's that like out in kansas and oklahoma and places like that going out hunting and shooting prairie dogs is yeah a that fun would thing be do kind of like our it's it's just like you don't you don't eat i don't know very many people that eat them but it's like for it's equivalent to our squirrel and yeah rabbit. that'd be fun it's like just a fun thing to have <laughs> I, I remember growing up uh, a buddy of mine uh his dad he, he would the, that was a yearly trip for him to go on out there. It wasn't big into big game, but he was always a marksman. He was always like shooting stuff, and that was his his way of getting out there and kind of like having a vacation <laughs> away from the kids. And that's that's what he did for a lot of years throughout the nineties and stuff like that. Actually, had an absolute blast seeing pictures and all that fun stuff, seeing all the prairie dogs lined out. But now it's like coyotes. Coyotes are seem to be the new thing because they're a very difficult thing to to work with. The best person to ever want if you want to learn about coyotes and coyote hunting and all that fun stuff dan flores he has been on uh, joe rogan's podcast i think it was like five six years ago and he teaches at new, in new mexico and he talks about the the differences between the gray wolf the red wolf uh the mexican coyote the and the red coyote and stuff like that it's 
very informative. And I would like to go go to one of his classes and just sit back and listen. He's got a couple of books and such and very intelligent, man. It's like when he starts speaking, he's like, you just like, you just want to calm everything else down and just listen to the, the amount of advice he has. Cause he even talks about like what they did to remove wolves off the landscape and how dumb they really were. Cause it's like they stick knives in there and like, then they eventually start cutting their own tongue and they'd keep doing it. And, uh, and we know what happened from it, but with coyotes, it's a whole other ball game. It's like, they're very smart. They're, they're far more intelligent. Yeah, they are. They're, they're wily. Oh yeah. Oh, for sure. Oh, that is, that is an <laughs> for understatement. Sure. For sure. Well, yeah, well, we're, you know, um, we're, we're still here. We're still grinding it out and we're always looking for people to provide content. So I'm happy if, uh, if people are interested in trying our, our products out and creating content for us, they can contact me and be happy to have them, you know, give it a shot and let us know what you think. Yeah, because I see you have – those who are listening or watching, if you go to their website and you go to their homepage, there actually is a spot if you want to sign up for pro staff and such. Now, are you currently accepting applications right now? Because I know a lot of uh, companies, they'll, they'll start their application process in like – let's see, Lakewood did theirs in October. A lot of them started in October and November, and then they start rolling out the approvals right around um, – Christmas time is how do what's the approach that you guys yeah so we like to get it going you know primarily it's the deer season where we're focused on although we have you know other other animals bear and and whatnot products related to that so generally I'll start um in the beginning of the year and then get the products out so that people can start with the mock scrapes um in the summer because we see especially with our bucks and we we see a lot of um uh, velvet box coming in uh, June, July, August. And so we like to start capturing uh, photos around that time. Oh, that's fantastic. So then, so do you have a deadline on when you're going to stop? We generally will stop around the end of uh, March, early April. Okay. So then this, this podcast will be coming out this week. So that's the best part. So we'll be, it'll be right out there. And we'll, I'll soundbite this as well. So this way then people can look for it. Because that's what I've been doing with the, with my episodes. It's like I will edit them down. I'll find little snippets and throw them up on all the platforms and go from there. So anything else that we've missed? We've <laughs> we have a lot of fun um, topics. No, no. I you know I definitely uh, appreciate the opportunity to get out and kind of tell the story. It's um when I uh, when I had my patent business, I was very much in the background. I didn't uh, you know ever talk on a camera or you know um, have that opportunity. So it's it's been a it's been an interesting ride, you know, realizing that I've got to get out there and got to, you know, got to tell the story so people can see I'm, I'm not some big conglomerate, some big, you know, hugely funded uh, operation. Um, certainly have, uh, have taken my lumps and continue to do so, continue to learn, but I love the industry. I love, you know, what, what I'm trying to do here and, and, you know, uh, the attractant world and, Certainly, even with um, the gut check indicator, I think there's such a, a need for being able to tell if you've made a bad shot or not that, um, you know, I really, really do in, uh, appreciate the opportunity and enjoy getting uh, to get out and do it. Oh, definitely. I'm thinking like I need to get uh, a couple dozen of those uh, or at least two, two, or two or three dozen of those, uh, those reflective wraps. And stuff like that, because I won't put I won't put the the gut checks on right away. But like from for my wife and my daughter, because sometimes <laughs> they don't always hit the target. But being able to have that bright 
luminescence like in in low light scenarios or in the in the woods really it should be nice to be able to coop all that because man arrows get expensive when you when you they they do i mean you know i'm pretty open i mean people will see um when i post uh probably even the um the picture i sent to you there is a luminoc on the back of my arrow and i have no i couldn't see it it's it blinds it out it's they're very bright you know, I use them both. I, you know, I use it as a backup, having that reflective portion on there. You know, to me, you can never go wrong. I've, I've had, um, I've shot deer, you know, at a steep angle, had it pass through and my lighted knock turns off. Well, now you've got a backup. You've got a, you know, the indicator is there, which is a bonus, but you also have that, um, that reflective material to help you find the arrow. So, Oh, definitely. The best part is too, it's like with, with, um, when you're going, when you're blood trailing, I found out like, like blue basically turns blood into like a light show. And so it's like, if you, that is something that it's like, that's actually pretty cool. I'm sure that people know this longer than I have, but it's like, I'm actually addressing in the podcast. Like, that's actually pretty cool. Cause it's like, then I started, then I actually upgraded some of my heads, headlamps because most of them were just red and and bright lights. Well, now I have a couple headsets that have blue light with them too. So it's like, that makes sense. Cause red's very good to walk in on walk with because lower light, uh, it's easier for your eyes to adjust when you shut it off instead of having that bright lumens and such. And then also then then I have the, Four, 500 lumens and, I, and then when you do it on low it's 100 lumens so you get a little bit longer longevity out of it but boy that's this has been a lot of fun man so do you have any hunts coming uh, up no we, i just about? wrapped up you know the deer season um killed my biggest buck to to date so far that's an 11 pointer i sent you the picture of that was out in ohio yes he's a stud he is just gorgeous i was so shook up he was in front of me about five minutes before i finally got uh, a good shot at him i was waiting for him to clear some brush and uh yeah so um I, i'll i'll probably uh so so i'm embarrassed to say i um i got hooked on spring gobbler hunting probably five or six years ago down at our hunt club and um i was with a guy and i was just kind of tailing him kind of to, to trying to learn and we had this one tom he was just fired up and he was you know for like 45 minutes he was just calling back and we never could get him to come to us and there was a creek and he, he never would cross it but that got me hooked and so for the last five or six years i've been trying to go down there and kill a turkey and we have so many hens that it, it's just nearly impossible to call them away um that and i'm not a very good turkey hunter so that, so that being said um <laughs> in ohio on my uh, family's property there are a lot of turkeys and a lot less pressure and so I'm thinking I might actually get uh, to spring gobbler hunt in um, in Ohio this year, and maybe I'll <laughs> I'll break the bad streak and, and actually kill one. There you go. Hopefully you'll be able to pull it off. I don't know if you've seen it, but uh, Pat Newcomb he came up with the blind last year called Newcomb blinds. That thing is so ergonomically it's like it's and economically priced just right it's like 110 bucks breaks down into into less than three pounds takes seconds to throw up i run a ghost blind but it's 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 big and it's clunky and like i want to get up into the bluffs you know because you're from you you have mountains i have bluffs it's like not just not as tall but we have the same thing to do with it and it's like it's very streamlined and he's also going to be releasing a longer or taller blind because i have bad knees and it's like the reason why i didn't buy it last year is because it's like it was just too short and I, and it's like my knees are just not and my, i'm having hip issues because i took a nasty fall from the ice so 
it's just it's just like being if my knees are above my hips it's just it's just game over so i have to have a, a taller profile for me to be comfortable because if i'm sitting out there for anywhere between eight to 12 hours for the day you know because you never know when a turkey's gonna when the gobble's gonna show up you know i actually um i went by and said hi to him at ata uh i had heard a podcast he had been on and um you know went went by and saw that. That, that that's a great idea i think it's a really you know really portable run and gun style uh blind oh yeah Pat is such a nice guy too. I had him on my podcast. We did a, a quick 15 minutes cause I was, cause we have uh, the open season outdoor show coming up in March and or end of March or beginning of April. And it's weird. Cause it's either, it's going to be really cold, windy, or it's going to be just garbage where it's going to be freezing rain or snow, but he was there and he was just talking a lot. So I was like, all right, well, I want to be mindful of your time. And so we managed to squeeze in a quick 15 minute interview because we, we, I couldn't get there early. It's like getting there early in the morning is just ridiculous. And then on top of that, trying to do something at night, it's like he's already exhausted. So we're going to keep it short and precise and, man, just awesome people. I mean, him and his whole entire crew, his his innovativeness behind the whole process, it's like it's great. Especially for you being a crossbow guy, it's like that's perfect for you because it's like you, you're going to have that, that – that I don't gun hunt or I don't I don't crossbow hunt, so I just pretty much do bow hunting. And it's like I'm, I'm a six-foot-two dude. It's like I got big – I got long legs, so it's like I need to have that clearance because there's been times where i've been in blinds and i'm like i can i know <laughs> i've hit my cam yeah. on the on some of the, the the framing on top yeah so that'll that'll be it i think probably through uh you know the spring and um then we'll be back into deer you know so in um where i live one of the, there are three counties uh i live in um or, or around and our um analyst season comes in the first saturday of september and then the normal uh you know uh deer season starts in october and then it runs through i'd say january and then the analyst comes back in through like april so you could literally shoot deer from september through april if you want um because they're just overpopulated and they're trying to reduce uh the, the herd in the cities. So, um, so it's possible I could, you know, do some, some analysts, uh, in the spring, but, um, right now I'm just kind of recuperating from running the roads, <laughs> uh, in last year's deer season. That's, that's for sure. No, you're going to, you're going to make your way to, uh, was the, the great outdoorsman sports show there in. It, it's in, um, uh, no, it's not, it's in Pennsylvania. Um, gosh, I'm drawing a blank, but, uh, yeah, I know. It's, I've been seeing advertising for it. So are you going to be able to make it out there? I'll probably go. Um, you know, it's a it's a big commitment to set up a booth or a table. It's like a, a nine day deal. Yeah. So you've got, you know, the first weekend, the full five days of the week and then the following weekend. So and uh, we've got some travel scheduled during that time. So I won't be able to go there and, and set up a booth. But uh, I love to go and, and, you know, talk to the in industry folks there and you know, see how, see how things are going, see how attendance is and, and what's new. Oh, for sure, man. So man, that's exciting that you, what you have. And do you have any other, sh um, do you have any other shows? Yeah, there's one, um, in late February called the Western Virginia, uh, sports show. Um, that one's coming up, I think maybe, uh, Columbus, uh, Ohio in March, and then I'll start, you know, making some more plans for other shows. Uh, after that, there's, uh, I think there's one in Richmond, Virginia in August, 
so you know some some smaller shows like that right now okay that sounds like a plan because well we got uh, iowa deer classic then we have uh, the minnesota classic then the dells we have that one co- coming up so those are just kind of ones that, and then you got uh the peoria illinois one but i wouldn't recommend going that one that's that's just pure is like a it's ranked in the it's been it's it's usually consistently ranked in the top 10 worst cities to go to in illinois because it looks like a war zone because everybody left the only thing that's left of there is caterpillar and, it's, and they're barely surviving because katsumoto's coming through and they're buying up their properties adam street quite a bit in my past there in uh peoria um been there quite a few times and uh you know, it's a great company to work with. They're they're truly innovative. But as you said, if if they weren't there, I'm not sure what would be there. You know, and I know they did a lot of um, uh, renovation and you know restoration in the downtown, like along the Riverwalk. There, um, the last time I was there, I, I think I was there in probably 17, something like that. But uh, I know they were at one time they were looking to move their corporate headquarters up to Chicago. So I'm not sure, you know, what, uh, what happened. No, they never did that. They did get, they did get, uh, they did get invested, investigated by the FBI for some, but I don't, I don't know whatever happened to that. Either they paid somebody off or, or it was just somebody just trying to, to, um, smirk their name or something like that. But yeah, they, they've definitely changed it. But downtown's basically all died because high taxes, high property taxes, I mean, it's basically you want to you don't go there to start a business, you go there to die. And then uh, what was it? I wasn't there in, in November and there's a there's a park just on a way on the uh, over by War Memorial that were coming around. And my wife and I are looking like, oh, there's there's a random deer sign. It's like, OK, get to the stop sign turn. And here's this beautiful 150 class buck just strutting across the street. Not a care in the world. It's like <laughs> that is just just something. And then 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 my wife looks over and she looks back and where where is walking to. There's a doe uh-huh. sitting right back up in the little cove. It's like, yeah, is this is something because you said you're familiar with Peoria. It's like it's just small world when it comes down when like we, we, we've crossed paths at least once because I've been going to Peoria now since 2016 because that's where my wife's family's from yeah i did um iowa deer classic two years ago i think um i drove out there that that's a haul from from the east coast uh (laughs) it is it is this year i'm getting hotel room last year when we were out there uh because i was not the the year you were out there but i was out there last year and we had tornadoes then we had rain and then if the further north you went we had freezing rain and snow all within an eight hour period we had like i think it was three touchdowns over by des moines so it's just it's it was a, it was a very interesting year this year i'm getting a hotel <laughs> why push it right yeah old man doing because it's like five hours to get down there and then a five-hour trip back turned into like eight because once once i got north of minneapolis over to the boone area going up i-35 it all turned into fog and the and i'm looking at the thermostat Ooh. in the vehicle and it says 32 degrees so it's like i am right at that cusp yes. of free black ice and that's the thing it's like and so that's where and there was some portions got so thick you couldn't see vehicles or you or you were you, were, you had to be real close to them so it was definitely a white knuckle in some situations but managed to make it home nice and safely and the thing is with coming to into lacrosse area here you have to go down a steep like 15 degree uh angle for roughly four or five miles and it's a and it's it gets, it gets scary we've there's been semis that go off the side of the road cars go off the side of the road it's something that you don't want to monkey with that's like uh, nope I, st- I work from home yep. so i'm going yep. to Makes happily sense. stay home where are the best ways to find uh so um of course my name uh if for me personally but the company is um at inventive outdoors 
So you can find us on both Instagram and Facebook at, at Inventive Outdoors. The website is inventiveoutdoors.com and um, all the product line, uh, lines are sold there. Um, we've got some products on Amazon. Uh, we're also on Everest as well. So um, a few different ways to, to get our products. Fantastic. Well, El- Dean, thank you for coming on the podcast. It was fun chatting with you. I hope you have an, an excellent season and you get out to Ohio, get yourself a turkey, get yourself a gobbler. I'd like to. <laughs> Appreciate it. It's, it's been uh, fun being here. Thanks for having me. You're very welcome.